if you have any questions or comments and you'd like them to be on the show, feel free to leave me a voice message. The link for that should be in the show notes. If you want to leave me a message, you can find me on Instagram at Adam underscore Elisha, on Twitter at Mathematically Speaking, and there's now a Facebook group called Mathematically Speaking where we're going to be having discussions after every show, and I'll be posting episodes there about a day early. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. back to Mathematically Speaking. I'm your host, Adam Allred. And before we get into today's episode, I'm going to do a little recap since it's been a while since the last one. Or you can always just go back and listen to it again for all the detail that I'm not going to be putting in right now. So last time we started a little thought experiment where we completely scratched the current school system and we were debating or starting the debate whether or not and uh, we should keep math in the curriculum and if we do why should we keep it we talked about uh, the intuition or the plato style of thinking that math exists in a world of forms and that mathematicians some ability it's, it's in our mind we have the ability to interact with that world and then we talked about the implications that in an education system that that leads to but this t- uh today's episode we're going to be discussing formalism um, sometimes it's known as uh, logicism, but formalism is the overarching umbrella term, and then there's many types of subset philosophies underneath this. Uh, but this one, uh, the mathematician who's most famous for uh, being a champion of it is David Hilbert. He's a brilliant, brilliant mathematician. He's quoted as saying that mathematics is a meaningless game. He says that because formalism is the idea that math is just a, it's a set of symbols with no inherent meaning, and it allows us to play the game that is math. And so when we say 2 plus 2 is 4, it's, it does not have to do with me gathering two things and then two more things and seeing I have four of those. They would say that's just an adjective the word two is an adjective, but the symbol two is different than how we would say it in English. Um, and a l- part of this is notation. In mathematics, different kinds of notation sometimes win out over others. And throughout history, every society who's been a, a mathematical empire, so to speak, has had its own different kind of notation, and uh, currently we it's like a mix of a, a lot that we have. Our base 10 comes from the French, our symbol for zero comes from India, and etc, etc. Uh, if you are curious to understand note, or to understand more about what I mean by it's just notation, uh, I'm sure you could just Google it, or if you can find a copy of the book Mathematica Precimpia by Bertrand Russell. And it's the most notation-heavy 
and thorough mathematical books. Possibly it takes about 200 pages to prove that 2 plus 2 is 4. And they, in my personal opinion, it just looks like they're doing a lot, but they're not doing much. But why does notation matter, which is what this thing is going to be, what this episode is going to have a, a core center around. Uh, why, does, why is notation and symbolism such a big idea in math? And for that, I'm going to tell a little story about some of the first drama that we've had on this podcast. Uh, some mathematical drama between Isaac Newton, who most people know, and another uh, mathematician and philosopher named Sir, Wilhelm, Sir Wilhelm Leibniz. I'm going to call them by their last names. It'll be Newton versus Leibniz today. And uh, Newton, he's British, and Leibniz, he is a German. So these people are relatively far apart from each other. But it's at the time, it's the 18th century or so, for people, if you're a big mathematician, people know about you. And so it wasn't it's not unlikely that they did not know each other, but they're both giving credit to inventing calculus. And calculus is just the mathematics of change, uh, specifically differential calculus, which if, if you've ever taken calculus in your life or you just know the word calculus, um, a derivative just means change over time. That's all that means. It's a big fancy word for that. But how can two people come up with this world-changing math independently of each other, but their notation is very different. And around this time, so to give them some background, uh, the UK was having a war, and uh, Germany, actually they both were in war times, and they were, there was a massive change from agricultural to industrial, uh, an industrial revolution which means to have that you need engineering you need to have people who can have massive be able to build massive things and machinery and today today it is just calculus that helps um, them do that engineers aren't just taking derivatives out there but the programs that help them do it the uh, calculus is coded into it and so these people there was massive change going on and so it is not too crazy to think that they created a math about change when there was such a massive political and economic change happening. But who came up with it first? And there's some controversy um, within the math world. Where people are say they're Team Newton or Team Leibniz. Personally, I am Team Leibniz, and I will explain shortly. So the history says that Leibniz mentioned it first. Uh, publicly. Uh, he had a, he has a published paper where he mentions his calculus first. And so people thought that he did it. And then Newton comes along and says, no, I have it first. And he produced a journal in which he mentioned his calculus. And he didn't publish it because he didn't need to. The reason that Newton came up with his calculus is the story that everyone knows. That an apple fell on his head. And he wondered, how does this work? And came up with gravity. To do that, he invented calculus. And but there was no need to publish it. He didn't think that. He just wanted to solve a personal pro a physics problem that he was working on, so he invented a branch of mathematics like any other person would do. And now that there was back and forth, and, Leib and Newton was saying that he stole my idea. And it's not completely impossible. It is possible that at the time that some papers from Newton had gone from the UK to Germany, and 
so it's not completely impossible. But Newton did his best to spin it that way and make him make sure that he was given credit um, when historically, at least publicly, which is what matters in math, who publishes it first, uh, it was Leibniz. But all of this is retrospective. Everything is just looking back and seeing, well, who actually did what, because we can't just act, we can't be there at the time. But the but there's there's more to that history, and it can be googled and there's Wikipedia pages, and if it's a math page on Wikipedia, it's very accurate. But the the difference in their notation is what's important to us, and this is a very visual thing, and so I apologize, but I will do my best. If you want, would like to pause and write down what I'm saying, feel free, and you can get an idea of what I'm talking about. But I need you guys to rewind back in your head, back to high school mathematics. You remember that most equations started with y equals, and then whatever the equation was, and x was your variable. x is the thing you were trying to find. So if I wanted to take the derivative, or find how that equation changes, if I'm Newton, I put an apostrophe above the y, and it is read y prime. If I'm doing this multiple times, you just add apostrophes up to how many times. If you hit 4, you just write a number 4. So it looks like it's to the 4th power, but it's in context, people know that you're taking a derivative 4 times of some equation. So again, y is, it'll, an equation would say y equals x, the thing in that equation, x is your variable. And if, if you're Newton and you're taking a derivative, you just put a prime. You put a little apostrophe above the y. If you're Leibniz, however, and you have an equation that says y equals, his is a bit more detailed. It's, a, it's not just an apostrophe. It's, the, it's d, the letter d, with the fraction bar, so d over dx, and then in brackets you put your equation. And that might seem like, well, you're just writing more. Why does that help you? But that x at the bottom, so it's d over dx, that x tells you what the variable is. And that, in elementary calculus and calculus 1, where they just start learning how to take a derivative, that may not be a big of a deal. But in higher level physics and in engineering and those types of things, some equations all look like letters, and there's no numbers. And all the letters are different kinds of... Uh, natural phenomenon constants and so all those things you could think are variables but when I say take the derivative of that thing and I put d dx and I see this really potentially gross equation I know that x is the thing that's changing and so I know how to operate I would operate differently as opposed to if w was my variable or if z was my variable or if beta was my variable so it's using sciences and such to give clarity to what's actually going on. So these are so that's there's a little bit of a history and a mini calculus lesson for you. Um, so if we go back to our school analogy, if I'm a teacher and I carry a formalist perspective, meaning that math is just a game, and these symbols that we play are to play that game, then why do I teach those rules? 
why do I teach that set of rules when there are other different sets of when there are other sets of rules that work just as well just like there's different notation within one branch of mathematics for two different th for the same thing there's a Newton and there's a Leibniz version the only possible answer is preference which makes it arbitrary which kind of defeats the entire purpose of math because math is supposed to be specific and certain and to the point there's no, there's very little there's very few things in mathematics that are arbitrary and if they are arbitrary it's because that's the only it's the only way to do it and it's usually in proofs that we use arbitrariness but everything else is very pr precise and very exact we don't use language just to use language everything is that is said in a theorem or a corollary or a lemma or anything like that serves a purpose so if you're just deciding what rules to pick because you like those rules that that kind of takes some of the arbitrary that takes some of the exactness out of mathematics and just fills it in with arbitrariness and it also kind of it defeats what we th when we look at the world and we think about math it kind of defeats that purpose people if you st if you study math or if you study any sciences there are patterns there are things that happen and we have yes we have symbols to describe that but that's what any language is language is just a bunch of symbols to convey ideas math is a language to convey ideas about nature if it was just a bunch of things to play games then it's it does not sit well intuitively as to why those patterns are so real as it's not just chess chess yes you have your moves and stuff but that literally is just a game and there's math about games so if it so is math just a game of symbols t to potentially study games in one specific niche niche part of mathematics but there is one question that it does answer that I don't feel the intuitionist or the the philosophy will dis discuss next time the humanist uh, social philosophy answers and this one answers why study math for its own sake because it is kind of bizarre if you're not just studying math to use math then why do it at all if you don't care about its purpose or, or its purposefulness like i do i i like i enjoy it for its own sake but why? If it's but if it's just a bunch of symbols, if it's just a play game, that just means I enjoy the game. And that's a sufficient answer. But next time when we talk about the social humanist view, um, we will. It is my personal philosophy and how I approach mathematics and how I plan to approach the teaching of mathematics. And it simply says that math is a social thing. That math is needed because it's useful and that's the only reason why and the reason that we have different counting systems and the way our calendars work and the way that our everything has evolved as a society is because math is a social construct like so many other ideas that we think are rigid and solid it's just that because they exist in our mind because at some point they had to happen some of them have gone away some of them have stayed mathematics has stayed and it will stay so that is it for this episode um if you if you weren't able to catch my verbal interpretation of of a very visual thing that is math 
I I do post um, written versions of, they're not 100% transcriptions, but they are written versions of these podcasts on medium.com. Search under the same name, mathematically speaking, and you will find the article there with hopefully, if you are a visual learner, you can hopefully understand this all better. But thank you for giving me your time, and I'll see you guys next time.